Welcome to Law X.0, a Bloomberg Law podcast dedicated to seeing around corners and preparing you for the next version of the legal industry. Welcome to Law X.0. I'm Meg McAvoy. And I'm Dory Goldstein. We are legal analysts for Bloomberg Law. Well, Dory, today we are talking about Google YouTube's large settlement with the Federal Trade Commission for violating COPPA, the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act, which essentially prohibits businesses from collecting identifiable data on kids under 13. I read a little about it. It's a huge settlement, $170 million total. Plus, YouTube had to agree to make a bunch of changes to how they do business. Right. And my understanding is that the settlement also means that content creators could potentially be liable as well. And by content creators, we're talking about um, those people who produce (laughs) and post those toy unboxing videos on YouTube. And just to provide a little bit of context for those toy unboxing videos, the richest YouTube content creator is actually a child who does those toy unboxing videos. Mm Uh, in 2017, between 2017 and 2018, he made $22 million. So this isn't this isn't a small problem. Unbelievable. Yeah, and there are uh, there are child targeted videos in almost every genre on YouTube. So here to tell us a little bit more about the settlement is Kristen Cohen. Uh, Kristen is the Assistant Director of Privacy and Identity Protection at the Federal Trade Commission. She focuses on enforcing federal laws and regulations that pertain to information security and consumer privacy, including COPPA. Welcome, Kristen. Thank you for having me. Before we get into the YouTube settlement, can you give us a little bit more information on COPPA? Who does it apply to and what does it regulate? Sure. Um, So COPPA was a law that was passed in 1998. It's a very old law, um, at least in the privacy area. And um, it basically, the purpose of the law is to put parents in the driver's seat of their children's personal information. And so the law says that um, for websites or online services that are directed to kids that the um, operators of those sites have to get parental consent prior to collecting personal information from those kids. Um, Personal information includes things that you would think of, email addresses, address, uh, phone numbers, but it also includes persistent identifiers that can be used to track um, to track um, children and you know the websites they're visiting. Mm-hmm. So um, it also has other other pieces to the law include a requirement that you have reasonable data security um, and um, you know proper privacy notices. Hmm. And what is it? So what does it mean to collect information under COPPA? And why would somebody want to collect this information? And can you talk about? I guess it's for targeted advertising, but what what are they doing with it? So collecting under COPPA, there's three ways that you can collect information under COPPA. The first is the traditional, what's your email address? And sites do that all the time. You want to create an account for a user. Maybe you want to send them um, advertisements through email or, um, you know, you know, other ways you might market to the kid. So that's the typical collection. Mm-hmm. The other kind of collection is where you allow the user to make personal information publicly available. So that would be something like a social media site where, you know, the child can put in whatever information they want. If you're not monitoring it or filtering it to make sure that they're not disclosing personal information, that's also considered a collection. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, we had a case, um, you know, about six months ago against Musical.ly, now TikTok, and that was what they were doing. 
And then the last kind of collection is in the persistent identifier area, and that's a passive collection. That's on the back end. It's things like cookies, um, other types of advertising IDs that, um, that sites might collect in order to target advertisements at that particular user. Those are advertisements that aren't based on the fact that I'm visiting the Disney site. It's based on the fact that I visited you know, 10 other websites and mm-hmm. I did these searches and it's really meant to target me as an individual and they're, they're creating profiles of the user um, and determining uh, and making inferences like, you know, this person visited this site so they're likely a six to nine year old and they uh-huh. are into Legos and so maybe I'll, you know, target them with some other similar toy. So it's like the whole realm, the whole universe of what people now understand to be like big data, like back-end big data. Yeah, that, yep. Interesting. So what were Google and YouTube doing that got the FTC's attention? So um, what YouTube was doing is they were saying on the one hand that YouTube is not meant for children under 13. And then um, out of the other side of their mouth, they were saying, (laughs) hey, put your content on YouTube. We're the biggest, uh, you know, more kids visit YouTube than, than any other website. And we're the new Saturday morning cartoons Um, So you should put your information on YouTube. Kids are here all the time, but, oh, kids, don't come to YouTube. We're not meant for you. So they were trying to have it both ways. Hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of (laughs) programming on YouTube that's geared toward children. Oh, Dory, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, introduced me to this world as we were doing research for um, this podcast. And I I was amazed not only at the amount of money um, that is in this industry in terms of children's programming, but also at um, some of the content, not for its inappropriateness, but just just the the volume. (laughs) I made Meg watch some unboxing videos. Um, So it sounds like what you're saying is that regardless of what YouTube said about it being for an audience over 13, that that did not protect them from liability in the FTC's view. That's right. We are looking at whether you, um, you know, just putting in your terms of service that you're not meant for children under 13 is not going to protect you from liability. We're going to be looking at um, uh, the factors for determining whether you're a site directed to kids. Mm. And um, in both the case of uh, musically, as well as in the case of YouTube, we found felt that they met those um, factors. Hmm. How did they um, deal with advertisers when talking about their kid-centered programming? Um, so, as we detailed in the complaint, um, you know they were out marketing to toy companies, saying, you know, we're the new Saturday morning cartoons. Kids love YouTube. You should put your content on YouTube. And um, at the same time, they were allowing those uh, same companies that you know, ha- uh, you know, told them that their content was meant for kids. They were allowing them to engage in um, targeted advertising on those channels on YouTube, and that's just not permitted under the rule without parental consent. Sure. Can you talk a little bit about how the FTC arrives at a number like 170 million? So in the settlement, my understanding is 136 million is going to the FTC and 34 million um, is going to the state of New York. Um, so that's a huge amount. Uh, talk a little bit about COPPA's settlement history. Um, th- this is sort of the story of COPPA really getting some teeth. Uh, how did you all arrive at the numbers? 
it is true that you know under COPPA we can get civil penalties, which is not something that is true in a lot of the privacy and data security work that the FTC does. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that's great. Um, prior to this year, though, in all of our cases, we had gotten, I believe, close to about ten million dollars, mm-hmm. um, and then in March. February, we settled with Musically. That was for almost six million, and then now we have 170 million. So I think that um, it's a story of the commission really wanting to emphasize the importance of children's privacy and really wanting to um, uh, have more of a deterrent effect in our enforcement actions. Hmm. Critics of the settlement, including some people at the FTC, argue that the settlement isn't high enough, even though it's $170 million, because that's just two days of Alphabet's profit. Do you think it's possible that operators will just factor in this kind of enforcement and carry on doing business? No, I don't. I think that the the settlement and the um, civil penalty amount really will provide deterrence both for Google and YouTube, as well as to other operators in this area. It's an interesting time to be a privacy attorney. Just a few years ago, if you had told me that people would say that $170 million wasn't big enough, I would have laughed. <laughs> Just this summer when we announced our settlement with Facebook for $5 billion, there were also critics saying that it wasn't enough. So I think that, you know, remember that the point of civil penalties isn't to put a company out of business. It's to provide deterrence to their behavior. And I think that this amount will do that. In terms of uh, YouTube and Google's sort of behavior going forward as part of the settlement, they also had to make changes to their policies and practices. Uh, what what are those changes? So I, I'll just emphasize that in, in my mind, that's the biggest win in terms of the order. I think that you know, those that have criticized the settlement as not getting enough money aren't really realizing the significant changes that the company has to make to their platform going forward and that those also have significant economic impacts. Um, but hmm. basically, going forward, the company needs to um, – so this is a little bit complicated, but <laughs> under um, the rule, the, what, what we said was that YouTube was um, – that they had actual knowledge that they were collecting personal information from users of another online service, a.k.a. the YouTube channels, that were directed to kids. And that – makes them an online service themselves directed to kids. Mm -hmm. Um, So they were really only liable under COPPA where they had actual knowledge. And so what the order does is it says that YouTube has to affirmatively go out and attain actual knowledge. So they have to put in place a system where channel creators uh, have to inform them whether their content is directed to kids. Mm -hmm. And once they do that, then YouTube itself is on the hook as um, for COPPA violations. So it and and it will ensure that they are in compliance with COPPA going forward for all of those child directed channels. Mm. And in addition, they have to do training of their um, of their employees to make sure that they, you know, aren't hearing from um, some channel that my audience is six to nine year olds and just ignoring that fact mm. and um, continuing to do behavioral advertising on that channel. You mentioned the content creators. One thing that the FTC signaled was that these content creators, the people producing the videos, can actually be held liable under COPPA. Can you talk a little more about that? Yeah. So um, the, 
the the COPPA rule applies to operators of websites or online services. And so what the complaint says is that the channel creators, those entities that are actually putting the content up on the site, they are the ones who are enabling targeted advertising and making money off of that advertising, um, that they can't, you know, they can't uh, turn a blind eye to the fact that their audience are children and continue to um, do targeted advertising on that site, um, that they are themselves operators under the rule and do uh, face COPPA liability. Another part of the order is it requires that YouTube inform channel owners that they could be held liable under COPPA. And, you know, I think that there, prior to the settlement, there were companies who thought that this was somewhat of a loophole in the in the rule, yeah. and that they, mm. you know, they couldn't put this content up on their own website and do targeted advertising because they were child directed and they would have needed to get parental consent. But that it was okay if they put it up on YouTube. And the purpose of the complaint and the order is to say, you know, no, that's not. There is no loophole here. Um, whether you put it up on your own website or you put it up on YouTube, you need to make sure you're in compliance with the rule. Hmm. What should privacy attorneys, so attorneys who are advising companies who may not already be in the COPPA space, what message does this settlement send to kind of the wider business community and the wider privacy attorney community in terms of advising? I think it sends a number of messages. First, I think it sends the message that the commission really cares about privacy, <laughs> um, that this is an area of focus for the commission. I think the Facebook settlement and the Equifax settlement um, this summer as well, that those those three together really show that the commission is, a, this is an area of focus and, and one in which there's bipartisan support. I know that there were, um, you know, some of the cases didn't get voted out by the commission as 5-0, but it was because some commissioners didn't think we went far enough. Mm. So um, there is an emphasis on this area at the commission and that there is an emphasis on getting civil penalties that um, or or equitable monetary relief that, um, you know, where where that's available. So so that's one piece that I would take away. I think for the children's area in particular, I think the, the wider um, message is that you really need to pay attention to who your audience is and that it's not enough to just turn a blind eye or bury your head in the sand, that you really need to um, assess who your audience is and, and you know where you find that you children are a large part of your audience, you need to pay attention to COPPA. Mm. And that's a huge deal, I would imagine, as more and more companies get into content marketing. I mean, almost everyone is a content creator these days. That's right. Finally, the FTC is in the process of updating the COPPA regs. What issues can we expect to see tackled? So the, um, the FTC every 10 years or so uh, does a rule review to make sure that the rules that we've issued are actually working in the, the way that, that we're, we want them to and that there aren't any unintended consequences and that, you know, as business models evolve, that they are keeping pace. In the privacy area and in particular in the children's privacy area, we uh, opted to, to do our rule review early in part because there you know the changes in technology you know have evolved at such a rapid pace and you know we did have significant changes in 2012 so um, in terms of what we uh, 
believe that we'll we'll tackle I, you know i really can't say at this point there you know we're we have a very open-ended you know request for comments what i can say is that i hope that those of you listening who work for um, for businesses or you know consumer groups or you know any number of parents anyone who has something to say on this that they do comment and that um, you can find the um, where you can comment if you go to our website and that we really do take a hard look at all of the comments that come in they're very useful to us and we're as we're thinking about whether um, revisions are needed to the law and in terms of what we'll tackle I I, I do think that um, the area most likely to, you know, what we're looking at very closely is the ed tech area. There is a, um, uh, how COPPA intersects with FERPA, which is the privacy law that's um, applicable to schools, um, is something that we've been looking at for a while, and we are looking to think about whether any revisions to the COPPA rule are needed to, um, to bring those uh, rules in, you know, into alliance. Uh, Kristen, this has been such an interesting discussion. Thank you so much for joining us. If people want to know more about COPPA or the FTC, where should they look? Um, so the best way to uh, hear more about COPPA and the FTC is to, to look follow us on Twitter. Um, we have a very active Twitter account. The FTC does. Look at our website. Um, we also have a terrific business blog, so I encourage um, folks to sign up for that. And you can do that right through the, um, the FTC website. Great. Well, thank you so much again, Kristen, for joining us. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Law X.0 from Bloomberg Law. For more Bloomberg Law analysis, visit news.bloomberglaw.com slash Bloomberg hyphen law hyphen analysis. You can also follow us on Twitter. I'm at Dory underscore Goldstein. That's D-O-R-I underscore G-O-L-D-S-T-E-I-N. And I'm at Meg McAvoy, M-E-G-M-C-E-V-O-Y. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Suspending the Rules is Bloomberg Government's weekly deep dive into what's happening on Capitol Hill. As is often the case with suspension bills, there's something of a theme behind them. Every Monday, BGov reporters and legislative analysts preview the week in Congress. This would be a rejection of what the Trump administration called for. And break down the biggest bills on the agenda. Autonomous vehicles are going to know everything about where we go and what we're doing. You can listen and subscribe to Suspending the Rules wherever you get your podcasts. Find more information at about.bgov.com.